today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. God knows the end from the beginning, and God knows what's best for us. And oftentimes, He will withhold that which we deem best for ourselves because He knows in the end that it would not be good. Every good and perfect gift, James says, comes from the Father above. There's no changing of His mind. There's no shifting variation of shadow. He's not back and forth. No, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. We often think if we didn't get what we asked for, that God didn't answer our prayer. But as Pastor J.D. points out, this isn't true. God will always answer our prayer, just in His time and in His way. When we don't get what we prayed for, it's because God has something else in store, something perfectly aligned to His will for us. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with his continuing study, Money and Giving. Let's get into the Word of God. On Sunday mornings, we're going through 2 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today, our text will be chapter 8, verses 10 through 24. So you can turn there. We're going to begin in verse 10, where the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Corinth and says, Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, verse 11, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. And please know he's not talking about socialism here, okay? (laughs) At the present time, verse 14, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God, verse 16, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative, and we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. Many believe this is none other than Luke. What is more, verse 19, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, 
but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Today's teaching is going to be part three of a series I've titled Money and Giving. Lord willing, we're going to finish the chapter today, chapter eight, and next week pick it up in chapter nine, where the Apostle Paul is going to continue addressing this touchy topic of money and more specifically giving. I'm hoping that our text today is going to sort of clear up some confusion concerning giving by virtue of how money is an often misunderstood issue on the part of Christians. How a Christian handles their money and certainly how a Christian gives their money. The first misunderstanding concerning money is that our giving is to be according to what we have. In verse 10, Paul offers his judgment in this matter, saying that in the previous year, the Corinthian Christians were the first to give, and not only that, but they were also the ones that really had a genuine and sincere desire to give as well. But in verse 11, he sort of rebukes them, saying that they should follow through and just do it, if you will, So their eager willingness to do it is matched by their completion of it. And then in verse 12, he tells them that their giving should be, and this is very important, according to their means. Because the gift is acceptable, proportionate to what they have, and not what they don't have. Paul is touching on two very important points as it relates to giving, the first of which has to do with following through on our commitment to give. I find it interesting that he would remind them of this commitment that it seems they had made the year prior, and it would also seem that they did not follow through and keep this commitment. The point to me here is that when it comes to money and giving, the best of our intentions mean absolutely nothing if we don't actually do it. How many times have we thought in our hearts and even maybe said that when I get my financial ducks in a row, so to speak, then I'm going to start giving. I've heard that. I've been on the receiving end of that. Not here, of course, on the mainland there. You guys are great. Um, these are other Christians in other churches on the mainland, just to qualify it. But I've been on the receiving end of those who have said, when I'm able financially to afford it, I will get into the ministry and serve God. I have yet to meet anybody that has actually done that. 
It, it actually doesn't work that way. I have never met anyone who did well financially, got all of their proverbial ducks in a row financially, and then entered into the ministry to serve the Lord all the days of their life. It just doesn't work that way. One commentator said it best this way. You've expressed the desire to give, Paul says. Now do it. In John 13, verse 17, Jesus said, Happy are you if you do these things. And then he says this, and this is really interesting. He says, if you're basically unhappy, melancholy, depressed, discouraged, or defeated, the reason could very well be that there is something the Lord has told you to do with which you agree theoretically, but which you have failed to work out practically. What Paul is saying here is that God won't give you the next thing to do until you've been found faithful in the last thing that you were given to do. This is Proverbs 11.3, which says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. In other words, God will guide those and even bless those who have the integrity to follow through, whereas the unfaithful will be, as another translation renders it, ruined because of their duplicity and even hypocrisy. There's an interesting word that's used here in the original language of the Hebrew. It carries with it the idea of what the high priest would use to make decisions to know that it was God's will. It was the urim and the thumim. In other words, God will guide you in your way in not using the urim or the thumim as they had to in that day, but God will guide you and reveal to you what he would have you to do only if you possess the integrity to do it. And here's why. God will not be party to our disobedience. Now I want you to think about this for a second. God is not going to give us something to do when he knows that we have no intentions of following through and doing it. Otherwise, he's setting us up. He's setting us up for failure and disobedience to that which he's called us to. In other words, God will call us and have us do something that he knows we will follow through and do. But if we're duplicious in our hearts, hypocritical in our hearts, he will not be party to that because in that disobedience, in that duplicity, it ends in ruin. The second important point that Paul touches on here has to do with our giving being proportionate to what we have and not what we don't have. Now this is a, a biggie for me because like you, I've heard it said that we're supposed to give till it hurts. Have you heard that? Give till it hurts. I, you've never heard that from behind this pulpit, I, I hope anyway. And certainly whenever, whenever we've had a guest speaker, I hope nobody's ever said that. Give till it hurts. That's not biblical. God doesn't want us to give till it hurts. God wants us to give 
cheerfully and joyfully. And if you can't give cheerfully, then don't give at all. Because God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, if you really think about it, how are we able to give that which we do not have? And that's what Paul is saying here. We're not only unable to give what we don't have, but God certainly does not expect us to give that which we simply do not possess. And here's the thing. It's not a matter of how much we give. It's that we give. And when we give, we give out of a heart of obedience and in proportion to what God has given us. This actually dovetails into our second one of verses 13 through 15, which is that our giving will be measured back to us proportionately. In verse 13, Paul says that they in no way desire that others are relieved at the Corinthians' expense. In other words, we're not going to meet the financial needs of the Jerusalem church while the Corinthian church is hard-pressed in order to do it. Rather, they desire that there might be equality. I think that word can be better understood as a reciprocal quality. And we're going to see that here in a moment. In verse 14, he says, Presently, their plenty will supply what's needed, so that in turn, when they themselves are in need, and they themselves will be in need, the plenty from others will supply what they need in equal measure. It will be reciprocated. And then very interesting in verse 15, Paul quotes the account in Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, saying that the one who gathered much didn't have too much, and those with little didn't have too little. I want to read, if you don't mind, the account. I want to actually begin reading in verse 16 of Exodus 16 and read through to verse 20 for the sake of the context. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according, speaking of the manna, according to each one's need. One ometer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by the almers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And here it is. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. In other words, no hoarding. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. I like that word, stank. <laughs> it stunk, man. And Moses was angry with them. Now, here again is what I believe is the important reason that Paul quotes this account in Exodus, really for two reasons, chief of which is because we as Christians are prone to hoard. And there's a reason why we have this proclivity to hoarding. 
It's because we lack faith. It's really evidence of our lack of faith and trust in God to provide. If you really think about it, the children of Israel, why would they gather more than they really needed and sort of stockpile it and hoard it for the next day? Did they not really believe that God would not provide the next day as he said he would? Yes. It was a lack of faith. It was a lack of trust in God to provide what they needed at the time that they needed. Now here's the thing. If you're anything like me, and I know that you are, because <laughs> you're a sinner too, <laughs> we not only want God to provide what we need, we want God to provide what we want. And that's a problem. God has promised that whatever we have need of, He will provide. Well, something goes unprovided. I would submit it was unneeded. And, and we're so clever in the way that we do this, like we can somehow trick God into thinking that the want is really a need. Oh, God, I need it. No, you don't. In fact, <laughs> If you could see from my perspective, the end from the beginning, beginning, not only will you realize that you don't need it, you don't even want that. That's where we say that we're so thankful for the prayers that God did not answer. Because were he to answer the prayer that we prayed and given us that which we wanted, it would have been to our own peril. God knows the end from the beginning, and God knows what's best for us. And oftentimes, He will withhold that which we deem best for ourselves, because He knows in the end that it would not be good. Every good and perfect gift, James says, comes from the Father above. There's no changing of His mind. There's no shifting variation of shadow. He's not back and forth. No, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. In other words, if you've not been given that which you have asked for, it's not that God is withholding from you. It's really that God is protecting you and not giving you that which could really be destructive and even dangerous to you. This is why I believe it is that God does not answer Christians' prayers concerning the winning of the lottery. <laughs> okay, okay, now, can we talk? <laughs> can we talk? Listen, come on, you guys. Listen, and you've watched the same shows I have, right? The lives that are destroyed by people who have just come into this massive wealth so quickly, and they end up alcoholics and divorced and addicted to drugs and in prison. And that's just the ones that, that handled it. <laughs> I mean, we, we know that, but deep down inside we're like, yeah, but I think I could handle it. Hey, I would give God 10%. No, you won't. No, listen, if you're not faithful with the little, you won't be faithful with the much. Listen, if you can't give God $100 as a tithe of that thousand, then who do you think you are to say that I will give God $100,000 of that million? You won't. You won't. It's infinitely more difficult 
to give the hundred thousand on the million than it is the thousand on the ten thousand. I hope my math is right because some of you are looking at me like, is that ten percent? Let's just say that it is. You can correct me afterwards graciously. <laughs> the other problem with hoarding is that it's evidence of our greed. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it's just greed. I think it was the wealthy Rockefeller who was asked how much more money he wanted, to which he responded, just one dollar more. With greed, it's never enough. With greed, it's never enough. Greed is never satiated. And when we hoard and we stockpile, what we're saying is, God, I'll take care of myself. I'll provide for myself. And what happens is, the love of money creeps in. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in his first epistle, chapter 6, that the love of money is the root. The love of money, not money. Money's neutral. You can do good with money. You can do evil with money. It's amoral. Money can be used for moral and immoral purposes. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love. It's the greed. That's what is the root of all evil. And it's very interesting. Paul says that many who have sought after it in their greed for it and their love of it have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What's the takeaway here? Well, the takeaway is that God won't bless us when we hoard. We're saying to God, hands off. Hands off my finances. And that's the problem right there. They're your finances. That's my money. That's your problem. It's not your money. It's God's money. God won't bless us when we hoard, especially if we do so out of greed. And you can be rest assured that in the end, it will become as rotten as the manna that the Israelites had hoarded. Of this one commentator aptly noted, all that we have is manna. And just as manna, which was hoarded to excess out of greed or lack of faith, immediately putrefied, so we should have no doubt that riches which are heaped up at the expense of our brethren are accursed and will soon perish, and their owner will be ruined with them. There's that word, ruined, again. We are so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you'd like to learn more about the Apostle Paul's letter, we encourage you to continue reading ahead. As you do, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truths and promises contained in its verses to you. You can also hear additional messages from Pastor J.D. on this book by visiting our website, InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com Listen online or download these teachings to have available anytime. We've also created a mobile app as well for Apple and Android devices so you can take Pastor JD's teachings with you on the go. We'd also like to point you to the Aloha Prophecy Update tab on our website. And with more information, here's Pastor JD. 
Thank you, Josh. One of the main reasons we do these prophecy updates is that we believe the rapture of the church can happen at any time. In fact, it may actually be closer than we even realize with all the things that are taking place in the world today. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said that when we see these things begin to come to pass, that we should look up and lift up our heads, knowing that our redemption draws nigh. We believe that Jesus was referring to that which is now happening in the world, especially geopolitically. It's my hope and prayer that these prophecy updates will be a source of encouragement to you as a listener, not only to ready you and steady you, but to share with others the lateness of the hour in these the last days of human history as we know it. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you will join us every week here at In Spirit and Truth Radio. Thanks, Pastor J.D. Head on over to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com to access these updates. And be sure to join us next time on In Spirit and Truth for more from the book of 2 Corinthians.